welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast, Tuesday, March 23rd. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. The Magic with a busy week, kicking off eight straight games against the Western Conference. That'll start tonight with the Denver Nuggets in town, the Phoenix Suns tomorrow, and then Friday, it'll be Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers in the house here at the Amway Center, and then out on the road for five out west, the Lakers, the Clippers. It's going to be a Western Conference type of week and a half or so. Uh, for the Orlando Magic. Also, oh, by the way, the trade deadline coming up. That'll be uh, on Thursday. The Magic at 14-28 and 28 right now, coming off a tough loss Sunday in Boston. And my guest for the program this week, Josh Everly. You can follow him on Twitter. It's a great Twitter follow. It's at Josh Everly, E-V-E-R-L-E-Y. Uh, Hoop Magazine, uh, the Dunks and Discourse Pod, formerly of NBA Canada, fan-sided. How many, how many publications are we up to now, Josh? I mean, you've been all over the place and over the course of your career. Did I cover them all? Yeah, man. It feels like a dozen different places at this point. But, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining me. Um, I wanted to ask you about the trade deadline in general. I want to ask you about the Magic. I want to get your sort of 30,000-feet take uh, on the Magic <laughs> organization. But I haven't – a somewhat existential question to ask you first, and I'm not sure if it's fair that I direct this outwardly because it's probably something that we all need to ask ourselves. But why is Kevin Durant so online? You know what? Kevin Durant is <laughs> the average NBA Twitter user. I and know, right? uh, God love him for it because uh, NBA Twitter would be infinitely more fun if every player would just tweet what they were thinking. And really, I mean, this this should have happened a lot more, right? Like, you think about how many players are like, oh, well, they're telling lies about me. They're speaking down on my name. You know, people should talk to me. No one in my circle will say this. Like, there's so many refutes of things that go out into the news cycle. You all got social media with 10 million followers. Like, tweet something out. Put something out in an IG story. You know, like, you can do that. So I'm glad that Kevin Durant takes advantage of that. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's an interesting sort of dynamic. Like, we, of course, like, especially people in the media, like, we want that. We want that. Um, that openness and we want honesty obviously and then with KD for whatever reason it's it, it's a it's a double-edged sword like he he does it and then he ends up getting fried for it and um, you know essentially what it is is Steve Kerr said that he enjoyed last year more than he enjoyed Durant's last year um, there and he didn't say very specifically that he was referring to Kevin Durant uh, he said we had a great energy great spirit great camaraderie losing sucked but what you want is a good vibe. You want to look forward to going to the gym every day and seeing everybody. And he sort of contrasted that with the final year uh, in Golden State. But is it – I don't know. I, I feel like it's partly Durant's personality. Like, I love the fact that he, he puts himself out there, but then it always seems like he's annoyed. Like, it never seems like he's out there happy, right? Yeah. I mean, I, can, I really – like, I'm not just saying this. I think that KD and I have a very similar – mindset because I too am soft. Um, and I, and I too, when I see my name getting thrown through the mud, want to comment on it. And so, and, and nine out of 10 times, the best thing you could do is to not be petty, to not give it time, to not give it attention. But if you see it, it sits under your skin. And, and I, I very much empathize with that state of mind. And I think, you know what, KD is like a, a true hoops fan. Like, I think Kevin Durant came up on real GM boards. I think he had – he was like Kobe 77 Mamba on Pro <laughs> Sports Daily. He was t talking about how Stephon Marbury was actually better than Steve Nash in, in 2001 or whatever. Like, I can see that. He's always loved hoops. He's always loved talking about hoops. 
And just, I think he stayed true to that even when he made it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a fair point. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic and you're right. Like he, like for whatever reason, we can't wrap, I can't wrap my head around the fact that somebody who is as good at what he does allows things to bother him. But like, of course it does. Like that's, you know, that's fair. I mean, everybody is like that. It's, it's like the old, like, uh, oh, celebrities are just like us. Like he's one of the greatest players ever. He's just like us. Uh, he sees his name tossed around and he, and he uses the avenue with which it was tossed around uh, to reply. Um, it's interesting. It's funny. I think while we're there, like, should, should Brooklyn, should we just give them the trophy now? Or do you think, I mean, they should be the odds on favorite to win the championship, right? They are. They are. They are, in fact, the odds on favorite. Like, I, I don't, people were slow on this, man. Like, I, I know that there was some initial can they play together and everybody loves to do the whole one ball situation every yeah. time stars team up, but like their offense was always going to be to such a degree that, that you had to have a perfect game against them just to keep pace. You, like, I, I mean, any team that they play can be the better defensive team, but they're still starting with a 15 point handicap. Right. And I just, I, I think, you know, um, a friend of mine today tweeted that, they have over the last like month or whatever, they have the best offensive rating in the league by a point, and that's without KD playing a minute, and that's with Kyrie missing about half the games. Yeah. So, like, they're just gonna be stupid, man. Like, I I, I don't I don't know. Like, I know that the Lakers fans probably won't like to hear that, but with AD's status still being somewhat hazy now, LeBron's out. I think it would be very tough to bet against them. And actually, I think I looked yesterday, and they're what like minus 110 now so they're like the, the odds on odds on favorite yeah so i mean the the high ankle sprain i think like permanently shifted those odds i think it was probably close um before that but i was thinking all year even you know before the injuries i was like can the lakers really do this like there's so much basketball lebron recites off the top of his head how many days he spent in a bubble and how many days he had off before the next season started like there was no way it wasn't going to to add up eventually. But, like, for instance, I was listening to Colin Coward today and say what you want to about him. I was, it was an interesting point he was making. He was like, this might help them, you know. For all you know, if – you know, with AD, he's, he gets banged up all the time, whatever. But, like, LeBron's going to come back from the, from the sprain, and he's going to be LeBron again. And maybe he needed – maybe he needs six weeks off or something like that. Like, maybe in the long run, this saves his legs a little bit. Can you buy into that? No, I'm not going that. I, I think I, I get where he's coming from. And you wonder with LeBron and how hard he's had to go to keep them in games, how many overtime periods he played this year. I get where you're coming from. But, like, I don't think we should take for granted that the timeline is four to six weeks and he's 36 years old. Yeah. Like, I think there's a situation where he comes back not at 100%. He's tender. He essentially has no time to get ready before the playoffs. And I don't know, and, and AD potentially facing a similar situation where he might not be in game shape and at his peak heading into the playoffs. I think the Lakers are in trouble, man. I, I think it's an uncomfortable situation for them to be in as the repeating champs or the defending champs, sorry. So Utah, the Clippers, who, who do you like out of the West if that's the case? As of now, obviously. I don't believe in Utah at all. I'm no, I'm, I'm sorry, Jazz fans. I just, I don't. I, I think they're. 
extremely reliant on Donovan Mitchell to be the best player in playoff games, and he's just like the at best the what twelfth, thirteenth, fifteenth best player in the Western Conference. Like, I I don't think the the worries with Rudy Gobert are as bad as people make them out to be, but I think that the way that they're constructed, they're just going to rely heavily on, on Donovan to to close games for them, and then you know like Chris Paul is a better closer. I think Jokic and Jamal Murray showed that they are every bit as capable. You know, LeBron, Kawhi. Um, I really like Denver, and I really like Phoenix. You know, um, I think both of those teams have a shot. And I know that Denver continues to, like, step on their own heels and they can't defend. But Jokic does feel like the MVP to me. And, like, I, I have seen Jamal Murray two years in a row be, you know, noticeably better in the playoffs than he was in the regular season. I think they're going to be in the mix to get a, a certain guy from, from your team here. Mm. And uh, I, I think Denver's in the mix. I think Phoenix is in the mix. I think Phoenix is in this really crazy situation where when they traded for Chris Paul, they're like, you know what, if we get to the second round, that would be amazing. If we got to the playoffs, great. If we got to the second round, that would be amazing. I, do, I don't know that there's that much of a divide in the Western Conference right now where, you know, this Phoenix Suns team couldn't necessarily win. Do, do they need to do something, do you think? I think anyone who wants to win the title other than Brooklyn right now uh, needs to do something. Yeah, I'm with you. Why is it? But in term- I was just, I was just saying in terms of the, the conference, I think Phoenix could get there as is. I think you're probably right. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, to me, it's like, okay, Brooklyn, and then, I don't know, I look around the rest of the East, and I'm like, you know, maybe Philly, but the Embiid injury. Like, I think probably discounting Milwaukee still a little too much. Like, I hate the idea that, uh, oh, you know, Giannis sucks in the playoffs. Okay, like, yes, he – good teams can sort of lessen the amount of dimensions to his game, I guess, but they don't make him one-dimensional. Like, he's still a very, very freaking good player. And it's a different mix this year. Like, I don't know exactly how it's going to look. Um, I think I think sometimes Bud, you know, needs to be a little bit more flexible in the seven-game series. I think that's a fair criticism. Um, but – but I, I think you're right. I think Brooklyn is probably the only team who can stand pat uh, and everybody else probably needs to do something, whether it's a tweak or some sort of a major move. Are you surprised nothing's happened yet? Is it, is that a COVID thing and a weird jam packed schedule thing? I think, I think I am like you have so many teams and there, there was so much commentary um, during the Warriors reign of terror about what's the point. Right, like what? What's the point in going out and trading for an Aaron Gordon or Harrison Barnes when we're two stars away? We're not a role player away. We're two stars away, and now we have these last two years where, like, heading into the season, there wasn't exactly this this odds-on favorite. There wasn't this closed-door perception of a championship, and a lot of teams that I thought might be aggressive, a.k.a. Boston, a.k.a. Denver, um, haven't been. And and I'm even, you know, and you see that from fans too, who are, they're so reluctant to give up any young guy on their team who's played five good minutes, even though, you know, like look at Phoenix and the position they're in. And the, I mean, things happen quickly. Now, Brooklyn might have closed that window. The idea that this is now, that this was an open year might be, might be done. But like, I am surprised teams aren't more aggressive because Brooklyn's going to be better next year. Like when Brooklyn has a chance to recruit with all three of those stars, yeah. they get their um, their mid-level extension. That 
they're going to do be able to do some things in the offseason, similar to the Lakers this year, bringing in Dennis Schroeder and Montres Harrell. They're going to bring in some other pieces that uh, inspire some applause. And I think if you're hoping that, you know, next year or the year after, you're not doing this right because windows just close so quickly. So if you're even on, you know, the burner here, I think you should be making a move, and I am surprised no one has yet. Yeah, even the Golden State thing, that bothered me. Like, you know, you're a, a rolled ankle away from everything being wide open again. Like, you can't just say, okay, we're not going to try this year because they're too good. That just seems stupid. Um, if, if I were running an organization, I would think that'd be the case. Uh, I also wondered if it's because there's not very many sellers because of the expanded playoff field. Um, you know, like the Magic, like obviously it's been a rough year. You're 14 games under 500, and you're two games away from the bottom of the Eastern Conference. But you're also like five games away from a playoff spot, um, technically. And so I, I do expect some movement with teams with records like the Magic's um, coming up over the next 72 hours. But I can see probably teams being a little bit hesitant because they're like, you know, if we make if we make one move, it's basically waving the white flag and there's still a lot of basketball to be played and you're still within striking distance of, you know, the 10 seed in whatever conference. Yeah, and that's interesting too. I mean, you're in this weird dilemma now where if you're New Orleans or, I don't know, the Knicks or, I don't know, whoever, Charlotte, and you have you you walk into that playing game as the ten seed. Do you really want to play potentially Brooklyn or the Lakers in the first round rather than having you know a, a chance to be in the lottery? Right. Um, and get like I'm not a pro tanking guy, but I'm not sure the incentive is really there. Um, but I I think you're right. Like it does seem like the all NBA talent has already somewhat congregated. Yeah. You know Chicago. Zach Levine was someone that people should have been like the, the amount of conversation about Bradley Beal the last two years has been astronomical and everything out of Washington over that time was, we're not trading him. We're not interested in trading him. Everything from Beal was, I'm happy where I am. I don't want to leave Washington. And people just like chose to like willfully ignore that. Oh, he must not be telling the truth. Like who'd want to stay there, but he did. And at the same time, like Zach Levine was kind of low key available and he's been every bit as good as Beal has really over the last two years. Yeah. And now he's kind of played himself into a place where, like, he can't get dealt. And you look around the league and, like, who's in a position to blow it up? And the, the faith level in DeMar DeRozan is so low. And, you know, I, I really think, like, John Collins, Aaron Gordon, Harrison Barnes, Lonzo Ball, that's pretty much – that. That those are the bigger names that I've heard anything about. It. it it's not one of those years where I'm like, well, Philly could do something or – you know, Lowry is that one guy, and it seems like every team continues to, like, underrate his value or overrate the potential of their 2024 first-round pick. Right. So, I don't know. No, that's um, that's intriguing, and that list is – it seems like pretty – and I guess there's the buyout thing. Like, you know, there's going to be some names uh, potentially on that market, but you're right. Like, I don't think we're, we're going to see a, a, a second Harden deal um, over the no. course of the next couple of hours or a couple of days, I should say. Um, all right. Tell me about your view of the magic, where they are now from 30,000 feet. Obviously the injuries sort of obscured this season. Um, the storyline this year has been Vooch and it's been injuries. Um, and now 14 and 28 with the trade deadline looming. We are, there's a lot of rumors flying around and we'll see what happens over the course of the next few days. But just give me your take on, on where this franchise is right now. Yeah, I, 
I don't know, purgatory? <laughs> does, pur- does purgatory feel fitting? Like everything about the magic is, is somewhat, I don't know, flustering or confusing. And, and like, I guess that's my view from the outside, but some of the accounts that I follow, like this team has been somewhat stagnant um, for a few years now with no real recipe to greatly improve. And I, I wonder if they've maybe missed out on some value in sitting on some of their pieces as long as they have. And, you know, I, I feel like Aaron Gordon has been fake traded for three years. I feel like Evan Fournier was fake traded before. Like I, Vucevic is a guy that they, they were happy about and they extended. But, like, I feel like some of these names have been out there on the periphery in, in past years, and I don't know – I don't know that anyone's unloading what they want. I mean, I saw Keith Smith talking today that the Magic were potentially looking for multiple first-round picks and a young player for Aaron Gordon. And I'm really high on Aaron Gordon, but I just don't know that the league values him at that level right now. And I look at this team, and, like, I don't know what the Orlando temp is on Markel Fultz, but I'm not really – like, I was very happy that Markel Fultz was playing positive asterisk minutes for a team after everything he went through, but I, I don't think Markel Fultz showed he was the future of that franchise, that point guard. I'm not, I'm not sure he's someone who, you know, you can lean on. I, I don't know who their building blocks are except for 30-year-old Vucevic, even still. And I, I know there's optimism about Cole Anthony and Isaac's going to miss the whole year. Um, but I also feel like people are, are way too high on Isaac for the sample that we have um, and given the dur- durability issues that he's already shown. So, I don't know. If I was the Magic, I, I think unloading some pieces and stocking the cupboard would definitely be what I would want to do. Yeah, I think part of, you know, it was six seasons without making the postseason. And so Cliff, Cliff gets here, and I think the idea between Weltman and Hammond was like, let's just get back to that level. Like, let's make sure we became a playoff team first. And so you do that, and that's why you re-sign Terrence Ross and why you re-sign Booch. And obviously, you know, I don't think – it's hard to argue with those contracts. It's not like either are overpaid and both have delivered. And, but, you, but you check that box. And so then it's like, okay, how do you get to the next level? Um, and over the course of the last offseason, it was continuity. It was we're going to run it back. We're going to see how much better we can get. And I guess the idea was like, okay, we've got Vooch. We've got Aaron. We've got Evan. We've got Terrence Ross. You know, that's our veteran core. And then you hope to see that growth from Markel bring J.I. back, um, maybe Aaron takes a step. He's still just 25 years old. And I think everything was sort of obscured when Markel went down. I mean, they started 6-2, and two, and he blows his knee out, and then the whole thing just goes to crap, essentially. Um, and it was already going to be kind of a, a redshirt year for the franchise anyways because of the Isaac injury, I think. So it's just – it feels like – you know, purgatory is – it's a bad word in the NBA – but it does feel like, it, at the very least, like over the last four or five months, it's kind of what it's been. Like, you know, you, you don't really know what you have. And I do think there's probably an element of valuing your guys more so because you're familiar with what they bring. Um, and because you have a coach like Steve Clifford, who at the very least you can trust is sort of getting the best out of guys like that. So I can I can see how it's it's difficult to pull the trigger when you're still not sure what you have. And I think that's probably – part of what the injuries have done. And like, you know, the, like you said, like the injuries with J.I. didn't just start in the bubble uh, when he blew his knee out. I mean, it, he had two season-ending injuries in the same season. We're trying out loud. Like that's um, – it's, it's been a rough calendar year 
or, or a little more for Jonathan Isaac. So it's kind of where they are now. I, I do expect probably something to happen in the next few days. As you look around, who do you think makes good uh, trade partners, um, regardless of who you think is you know, going out? Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple teams. I know that Denver is one that I've seen linked quite a few times um, to Aaron Gordon. I think that would make a ton of sense, um, you know, from, from Denver's end in that, you know, they, they're, a, they're a poor defensive team. They've missed Jeremy Grant. They don't have a 3-4 that they trust to switch up and down and defend some of those tougher assignments. I, I think that Aaron Gordon would be an immediate fit with Denver. My reluctance to go on in here is that the Denver has been a pretty conservative team. Um, not unlike Orlando, but like, you know, there, there's teams around the league that are dropping, you know, five years of drafts, six years of, of, of drafts to get into contention, to get where, where Denver is now. And, and Denver hesitating to move like Gary Harris's deal or Will Barton's deal or, you know, whoever, and a pick or two over the last couple of years. And in fact, even shedding salary in, in, in Malik Beasley in a year where they were competitive has been somewhat, you know, um, under talked about, like it makes me kind of turn my nose up. You know, we talk about bad ownership and bad management. You got a team that's competing that's been to the conference finals. It's not time to cut corners. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a there's a, an opportunity there. I think something like Paul Millsap and Will Barton from a salary perspective, and then you know a first or um, maybe two, or maybe you get like. One of those guys or Hampton and Najee or, or one of the young guys that they have. I, I think there's potential for a deal there. I'm not, I don't have the trade machine open in front of me. I'm not quite sure those numbers all work, but mm-hmm. I think there's something there. Um, I think Fournier is another guy who, again, like he's, he's not going to – he's not the guy if you're on the cusp that you feel like he puts you over the nets. But if you need another ball hander, floor spacer, dual wing sort of guy, I mean – I think Fournier is having a pretty understated, I'd say season, but maybe even career um, for what he's given the magic in the last few years. I think he's someone that Golden State could add if they actually wanted to get into the playoffs. Um, Portland, I think he would be a good fit. Gives them a little bit more size on the wing when they go away from McCollum and Dame. Like I, I think there's quite a few teams that would fit Fournier. How do you see Vooch and what he's done now and where he is um, – how that affects the timeline for the team. Like he's 30. He's still getting better. It seems to me like I kind of picture him like Powell, like he's going to age gracefully. I would think he doesn't have this high impact game. So I would think he can still play at this level and improve for four or five years, you know, but with that said, if you're going to start, you know, flipping your veterans you got to know if you're coming or going, you know, like you have to have a plan and a timeline. Um, how do you see that all fitting together? Yeah. Like, you know what? Like Pau Gasol was done winning by 30, you know, yeah. the, the, the Lakers were done KG as the co-star with the Celtics, probably the best player on that team still was 31. I mean, there's not a lot of instances as the, the, of the first option, big winning post 30. And if you're thinking Duncan right now, like, those weren't teams that leaned on him night in, night out offensively. Sure. And Vucevic doesn't bring what they bring defensively to kind of like, I think he'll always be able to give you good minutes because of how skilled he is, but he's not necessarily a defensive anchor 
that can fade into the background while other guys take the offensive load. Vucevic is giving you the most when he's heavily involved, involved offensively. And I, I kind of think of LaMarcus Aldridge where like the years of him being passable on defense faded and nothing else really seemed to matter. I worry about that for Vuce. I don't think he's talented enough that you want to rush your timeline. I don't think Vucevic is a guy where like, oh, we, we should be a buyer. We should be putting something around him next year before his, his time expires. Um, and that's kind of sad to say for him. But like, I, I think like, the problem is, even if they want to, I don't think there's anyone that will pay a fair price for him. Vucevic is an all-star. He, he should be getting a hefty return of multiple first-round picks and a young guy you want back. And at the same time, like, so few offenses now want to run as much through the big as they do through Vuce. I just, I don't think anyone will pay a, a, a price that would seem fair to Orlando and their fans but at the same time, like I think if they don't move off of him, either now or in the offseason, they're kind of committed to just being slightly above the bottom with him. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, I think if you, you know, I think if you, if you somehow add top flight talent quickly um, and he sure. slides into, you know, more of a secondary role, then it's, then it's a good fit. Um, but I, I think I know what you're saying just as far as like, you know, if – if your plan is three years from now, we got to have a championship team because Vooch is going to be 33 and hopefully he's still uh, playing an all-star level, then that might be, um, I, I guess, nearsighted. <clears throat> well, like, can I, like, let me, you know, it was, it was reported or rumored, I don't know which it was, that Golden State was taking a look at him mm-hmm. and that, you know, the asking price would be potentially Wiseman and their pick not even necessarily Wiseman in the Minnesota pick. And it's just like that, like, I mean, that is a high offer. That's a lottery pick. That's a guy they just took number two and are quite high on. But like Vucevic is an all-star and you have Steph Curry and you have Draymond Green and Clay's supposed to be back next year. And like, you know, your hands are kind of tied with some of the things you can do salary wise. And there didn't seem to be a lot of interest. And I'm just like, what, what team fits Vooch and who would pay? And if that wasn't a real consideration for a team that essentially has zero centers on the roster when Wiseman was hurt, I mean, who's, who's going to pull on him? And I, I think that's kind of the tough dilemma from a league standpoint. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it would, it would make a lot of sense. I think it's hard. I think there's, I think you get to a point where I think it's human nature for anybody to value their own guys a little bit more so, right? And you, and especially in a place like Orlando, where you're probably not a big free agent destination, the last thing that you want to do is sell early on a guy because it's hard enough to get that, that level of talent here in yeah. the first place, you know? Um, so <laughs> that I think that it, is it, yeah. Yeah, I think it, so it's and, – and, and I think – and it's not just him. I think you could see that sort of across the board. But with that said, like – if you don't, then you end up, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was continuity, continuity, continuity. Well, you know, continuity, when you win one playoff game back-to-back years, um, it only goes so far. Like, at some point, uh, you got to kind of jump off the cliff and, and see what happens. And I, I kind of expect something like that to happen, if not in the next couple of days, and certainly before the start of next season. What that about is how- – that- Go ahead. Sorry, I was to say, like, that is exactly it, and you see that every year with those teams. Like, continu- continuity with room for growth is the recipe. Right. Right? Like, if, you ha- if you're on the cusp and you have room for growth, then stick with continuity. But, like, you have to have um, 
you know, just somewhat of an absurd amount of talent. And I, I you, you're so on the money, right? Like every team that gets a multiple time all-star like Vucevic and doesn't have a lot else around him is like, well, if we get rid of him, we have to get this kind of guy again for the next guy anyway. But he is 30. Like he, he just is 30 and like, yeah. That's tough. I mean, that's really tough. I'm not adding much substance to this conversation, <laughs> it's all right. but I, I'm very much chewing on, on, on the toughness of this assignment. It's so. a good exercise. It's uh, yeah. sometimes you just got to talk through it, Josh. I think it's important. Um, <laughs> I, uh, how into the, to the draft are you? Are you, uh, I, I, I don't know. Are you like a draft nerd? No, I, I, I usually start watching about this time, usually just a bit before the conference journeys. And I'm like solely focused on the guys coming to the draft. Yeah. And I got to say too, like I read a lot of mock draft stuff. I read a lot of like top 10 boards, top hundred boards. So like, I keep up with what the people who I think, you know, their stuff are saying, but I'm always turned off like with teams that are supposed to have multiple, if not first round guys, lottery guys getting spanked. And like, I don't know if you're a big college guy, but I, I meant to ask this on the timeline. Like how does a team with two guys that are going in the lotto and Springer and Keon Johnson, get clapped round one? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. Like, How often does that happen? Does a team with multiple lottery picks lose round one of the tourney? Well, um, God, I mean, not often. I mean, Kentucky typically has a couple lottery picks, and they didn't even make it this year. But, uh, no, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know, but it's so weird. Like, it's just a weird – it is a weird time um, for college basketball. I mean, look at like, I was sitting there today watching. Um, who was I watching? Uh, the bottom line is like these, like a lot of these guys, the Crutwig guy from uh, Loyola or um, Arms from BYU. You know, these are like big gawky centers who are in their fifth year, and some of them are grad transfers and stuff. And, like, that's where college basketball is now. Like, it's either – and obviously the one and done and all this stuff's going to change. But, you know, two of your best prospects were, in, were on the G League Ignite team. And, yeah. and you've got a handful of teams that have – you know, like Gonzaga is absolutely the rarity um, with two guys who will be in the lottery, one of them who's a one and done guy, um, and a great basketball team. It's just there's no programs anymore, even Kentucky included, that – you know, are pumping out NBA talent and winning. It's just, it's not the same as even it was three or four years ago. Yeah. And like, I'm often, you don't want to be cynical, but you don't ignore what you see either. And like, I'm not, I, I don't, I like to think I'm not arrogant, but like sometimes I, I see stuff watching a college game and I haven't watched them play 15 other games this year. And I want to jump to a take. I'm like, that's unfair. This guy's still a kid. Right. Like, I haven't watched him enough, but like I remember watching D'Angelo Russell play Arizona in in the second round of the tourney, and like I think you know Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Stanley Johnson were on that Arizona team, mm-hmm. so they were a good team. But like D'Angelo Russell just like had one of the worst all around team performances like I can remember seeing. It like genuinely struck me how uninterested he he was involving his teammates and how willingly he dribbled into the trap and bad shots and just like gave his team no chance in that game. And I was like, man, I I would never want to draft that guy from that moment on. Like that was just on my mind. I don't, I don't want to tweet that. I don't want to put that out there. He's a kid, but like, 
I think there's some of that too, where like, it's tough to make honest and fair assessments because the game's so different. The talent around them and against them is so different. The schemes are so different and they're so young. But then I kind of had that moment yesterday with like, not to the same extent, but like everyone is telling me Kate Cunningham is the truth. Like this guy is the best prospect since LeBron. Like he has all time, all time potential. And, and people were like, anyone who's talking down on Cade's only watched him in these two games. Well, yeah, that, that is true. That is true. Um, I've only really watched him. I've watched him play one other game this year. But, like, he didn't – if he's all-time – if he's the next LeBron, shouldn't I see that a little bit, you know? Like, it, should, shouldn't I – like, based on the hype and the expectations that people are putting out there, shouldn't that be obvious? Like, what, LeBron, what would LeBron have done? In, in the tourney? Yeah, like take rookie LeBron, put him on – I went to Ohio State, and so you don't have to tell me about the D'Angelo Russell game. I remember it very well. Put him yeah. on, on Ohio State as, as rookie LeBron who played for the Cavaliers. You really think he's getting bounced in the first round for crying out loud? No chance. Yeah, right? no chance. And yeah. I'm with you. And, and thing, yeah. yeah. And, but it's weird for me because, like, okay, so Ohio State is a perfect example this year. He's not a lottery talent, but Dwayne Washington was our leading scorer. Um, he was our second best player. Liddell, the big, is our best player. And, and I'm 37 now, Josh. Like, I am – I've always been exactly what you said. Like, I'm, they're college kids. I'm not going to jump down their throats. And I was like – like, I tweeted, like, we got to sit him down. He's killing us. And I even felt bad about that. And, and again, this is – you know, it was in the middle of a game. And then I get on my radio show afterwards, and I'm like, Dwayne Washington played like a dog. He wouldn't hit the floor. And, like, I got done, and I almost felt a little dirty about it. But with that yeah. said, like, I don't know, it's, it's sports. And it's not like I shot, you know, took personal shots at the guy. I was talking about how he played the game, for crying out loud. Uh, but I still, felt, I still felt like kind of one of those, like, old, crusty guys uh, that I swore I would never turn into. And I just – I think a lot of, like, the, the college basketball talk – like, you have to be critical. If you're just, you know, kissing everybody's jockstrap, we have enough of those guys on the timeline taking pictures and media rooms and – you know, yeah. whatever. Like, you don't want to be a clown like that. But, like, it, it does get gross. And, like, I, I can't – like, the draft coverage that you see on TV with NBA affiliates sucks. And, I'm, I mean, the draft last year, I remember, like, two minutes before the first pick, they threw the mic to Jay Williams. And they were like, who would you take number one? And he's like, well, I got to go with my guy, Anthony Edwards. Although – and, like, does he say anything nice about this guy? Does he say – talk about his upside at all? I got to go with my guy, Anthony Edwards, although I really hope he's not Andrew Wiggins because there is some worry that he doesn't love basketball and he has no heart. I'm like, <laughs> what, well, one, way to promote the product. Two, right. like, if you believe, if you think that's even a question, why are you taking this guy, number one? And, and three, like, if that is a concern and you're still taking him, number one, would you care to elaborate on what you've seen that would, what would lead you to taking him number one. Right. And I'm glad that Edwards is having a great year. Me too. Because, man, people decided before the draft that he that he was like – He said he I liked football. He didn't say he hates basketball. He said if he given his druthers, he would have been a football player, which like LeBron has said before, for crying out loud. They just made him sound like he was in here to get a bang. Like they made him sound like Jamarcus Russell. Yeah. Like yeah. the second he got paid, he was just going to get fat and quit on hoops. And like, man, like, where's like, is this? Does someone know something that's not been said? Because my God, it's just so negative. No, but that's, I mean, that's the problem. Is like, 
you know, and it's not shout out Jay Williams. It's, it's, it's everybody, you know, aside from Billis and some of these other guys, most of the guys that they have commenting on it, like do less research and, and work than you and I do. I mean, they, yeah. you know, they just sort of like skim and throw some ideas right now. Oh, I read on Twitter, this guy said this, and now I'm on TV getting paid for, for, my, for my analysis. Don't get me started on inside the NBA. Um, that, that's probably a conversation for another day. <laughs> We're going to talk about promoting the product. Um, all right. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. This has been a lot of fun. Again, it was very, um, it was cathartic for me. It's like sometimes I, 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 need, to, I need to get some, um, some external viewpoints on the organization uh, and talk through what's going to be probably a transformational couple of days for the organization, if nothing else. Um, I think it'll be exciting and I appreciate the time. Josh Everly, uh, the Dunks and Discourse pod, Boot Magazine, uh, where else? Um, yeah, that's pretty much it right now, man. Those are my two main spots. So thanks for the plugs. Yeah, absolutely. On Twitter at Josh Everly, E-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, man. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. All right. Absolutely. Uh, Josh Everly, follow me on Twitter as well. It's at Jake Chapman O-M. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Till then, stay safe, everybody.